Well, good morning, everybody. And we have a special treat today because joining us is online is not just the online service, but our West Haven campus is watching the live stream this morning. So, Leighton, can we hear it for the West Haven campus? And, uh, and by the way, on that note, we have a worship night this Saturday night. So I wanted to say to all the folks here and at our West Haven campus, I want to say join us Saturday night at 7 p.m. for the United Worship Night. We've, every month we've been going to a different campus and, and having just a time for people to gather together and join in worship. And West Haven is hosting uh, in less than a week. So I'm speaking to Leighton folks now. Go Go visit West Haven next week. You can find uh, information online. West Haven, make sure that you're there as well. It's going to be an awesome time. I can't wait. I love our worship nights. I love to worship uh, God with all of you. So join us next week. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're in the, we're in the guess what? We're in the book of Mark again. Can you believe it? We're in the book of Mark again. We've been doing it since the beginning of the year. And uh, last week we talked about, we, we kind of introduced that Jesus was in the temple. He's He's the last couple of weeks we've been studying Jesus is at the temple grounds. This is like less than a week before his death and resurrection. And so uh, Mark is helping us to understand what's going on. Jesus is ha- going to have, starting today, he's going to have three interactions. He's going to have interactions with these, these three different groups that make up the group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the, like the Jewish ruling council, be like the Supreme Court. And so the Sanhedrin was made up of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then the teachers of the law or the scribes. And so in each of these next few weeks, today we're going to look at the Pharisees have a question that they're going to ask um, the, the Jesus himself. Next week, the Sadducees have a question that they're going to ask Jesus. I'll give you a little preview for next week. Next week, the Sadducees were the group that didn't believe in the resurrection, so next week, if you come back next week, the question that the Sadducees are going to ask Jesus is about marriage in heaven. And so next week, come back, we're going to talk all about how Jesus answered their question and then also the implications that, it has, that that has to do with eternity. We're going to talk about eternity next week. And then in the third week, the last group, and Mark, Mark just kind of lays this out for us in his gospel, the last group then is going to, is going to talk about is going to ask this, probably the most famous question that anyone ever asked Jesus, which is, what is the most important rule in the rule book? And that's what we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. So t- but today, we're going to take a look at the question that the, that the Pharisees asked Jesus. And before we get to the text, I want to just, um, I want to make mention of uh, what is, what is the, the question that I want to ask us as we're getting ready to ask this question, or we're getting ready to see what Jesus asks And the question for us today is, do you take taxes more seriously than tithing? Do you take taxes more seriously than tithing? Yep, that's right. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about money. Now, I'm going to ask our people in West Haven and in Layton to lock the doors, please. We're not going to let anybody out now, right? You're stuck. You're trapped. Actually, before we get into any of this, I just need to say, if you're new with us today, I hope that the way we talk about this, we're going to get to financial implications. I hope the way that we talk about this today will encourage you to have a free understanding of money. In fact, I'll, I'll just, just a spoiler alert, we're not going to, the concept of tithing itself, the tithe, technically the tithe means tenth, 
And the question that some people are going to ask, and I want to answer a little bit later on today, is, is the tithe even in the Bible? Like, does, is the tithe something we even have to do anymore? Are we so, like, is, whenever, whenever churches talk about the tithe, people get a little bit nervous because they're like, wait, you're telling me that I have to give 10% of my income back to the church. We're going to answer those questions from a biblical point of view. We want to show you what the Bible has to say in answer to that question. But anyway, I, I'm not going to do that just yet, but that's still the question we're asking to start is do you take taxes more seriously than tithing. We did some research this week. The average American gives over 30% of his or her income to Uncle Sam in a lifetime. Can you imagine? Can you believe that? That's what, now maybe think about your taxes right now. I know it's, we're long ways from tax time, but think about your taxes right now and you think about, yeah, that sounds about right, or maybe that's higher or lower than what you give. The average American, 30%, over 30, it's actually 33%. That means for the average American, you will give over half a million dollars to the government. Does that make anybody mad? Can I get, can I, I mean, does anybody get like, when you, when you see what's going on in Washington, D.C., and you see all the government waste, I get like fired up. I got some things to say about this today. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I got some things to say about this. But the reason I've got some things to say about this is because Jesus had some things to say about this. Jesus, Jesus is going to answer this question about taxes, and his answer has implications for our giving. Now, again, I'm using the word tithing just to kind of get us riled up a little bit, but I'm going, to t- I'm going to tell you what the Bible actually says about tithing. It might not be what you think. There's a lot of freedom that we have in Christ. I want you to hear that. There's a lot of freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus came to set us free. But we are going to talk to two different groups of people today here a little bit, and I, I want to acknowledge two different groups of people, not Leighton and West Haven, but, but spenders and savers. So just real quick, I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you, let's start with the savers, how many of you are more of a saver than a spender? Go ahead and raise your hand. I see these hands. West Haven, raise your hands as well. Okay, good job. We've got a lot of savers in here. Good for you guys. How many of you are more of a spender? Raise your hand if you're more of a spender. Ooh, lots of spenders out here as well, I'm sure. Well, I want you to keep this in mind because because we're going to talk about giving today, and here at the end, I think that Jesus has something to say to, to all of us, to spenders and to savers. By the way, I'm a little more of a saver. I think it's a little, my, my wife would probably say, uh-uh, no, no. You might buy fewer things, but the things you buy cost a lot more. Is that true? Yeah, all the, and all the wives said amen. Like, yeah, right, exactly. I remember when, when Tracy and I first got married and she came, she came, we were on a very tight budget and she came home with like a, like a white, a white t-shirt. You know, she just went, she went shopping. She came home with like a white, just an undershirt, like a white undershirt. I'm like, what you got there? She's like, well, it's a, it's a white shirt. I'm like, you already have a white shirt. I don't understand. That might possibly have led to our first marital argument and, um. She's won everyone ever since that particular argument. But I, I want you to think about that. Do you take taxes more seriously than tithing? And the, the answer for most of us is probably, well, yes. Because would you ever skip paying your taxes? Would you ever, would you ever be like, no, I'm not going to pay my... Now, look, I'm, I totally affirm 
trying to pay as little to Uncle Sam as possible without being thrown in jail. Like that is kind of how I approach tax time is I want to pay as little as possible because I would rather, I would rather give my money toward what I want to give it to than give it over to Uncle Sam and let him make the decision. So I'm all about like within the rules to make, to, to be as, to be as cheap toward Uncle Sam as possible without being thrown into jail. I'm claustrophobic, I would do terrible, terribly in jail. So that's how I approach April. And probably most of us are like that as well. We're dutiful when it comes to our taxes. But are we dutiful when it comes to our giving? I, want, I just wanna like throw that question out there as we get to the text. So let's get there to the text. Mark chapter 12, starting verse 13. Here's what it says. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. They're buttering them up here. They're not being sincere. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? All right, let's pause here for a second. Here's what's going on. The Pharisees, religious leaders, if, you, if you're new to Alpine with us this morning, you need to know that these guys are kind of like the bad guys in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus keeps going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees because they're religious leaders. Remember, they're part of the Sanhedrin, so they're kind of a big deal. And they're coming to Jesus, trying to trap him. Here's what they're doing. This whole week, they're trying to get him to say something for which, for which they could kill him. Last week, if you were with us last week, that Jesus told this parable and looked, at, looked them in the eyes. He told this parable about, you know, that, that this, this landowner had rented his land to a bunch of tenant farmers and they were totally misusing it. They were the tenant farmers. So Jesus is already going toe-to-toe with them. He's like calling them out and he said in the parable last week that he knew that they were trying to kill him. He knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill him. And here, the very next story that Mark tells us is the Pharisees, the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus so that, see, they didn't have the authority to kill Jesus. The Romans did. So the Romans were ruled. So I don't know if you knew this, but, but the, in the, the first Roman emperor was reigning when Jesus was born. The first Roman emperor was reigning when Jesus was born. In fact, just a few years before Jesus was born, that emperor, Augustus, he implemented what's called the imperial tax. So he implemented this tax that the Jewish people had to pay. It was one denarius. So one denarius was, was like a, a day's wage. So think about how much you make in a day, and that was the tax that they're talking about. So it was one day's wage. The, the, Roman, the Roman emperor that that was ruling when Jesus was born was the guy who implemented it. This, the, the emperor at this point in Mark chapter 12 is Tiberius. He was the second Roman emperor. So he's implementing this tax. And the whole question that, he's asked, that the Pharisees are asking, they're trying to set him up, is because there are two, there are two options here. Is you could, if Jesus were to say, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, which is what a lot of Jews would have loved to have heard, then he would have been, he would have been outed as a rebel. 
And the, and, and the Pharisees could have said to the Romans, hey, he's trying to incite rebellion and he's telling people not to pay taxes and you should go get him. That's what they're trying to do. Now, if Jesus, on the other hand, if Jesus would have said, yes, pay your taxes, of course you should pay your taxes, then, then they were thinking that the Jewish people would, less, would like him less because the Jewish people hated paying their taxes. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? The Jewish people hated even more than you do. Because the Jewish people were paying taxes to the Romans, and so it was a nationalistic thing. They hated that. And and remember, they thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that was going to lead them to freedom from Rome. This is what they were hoping for from Jesus. And the Pharisees were trying to try to reveal that that was true, that Jesus was rebellious and was going to lead this rebellion. And so this really was a trap. I think as as we read this, it, you know, Probably, if we were there in the crowd that day, we were probably like at the edge of our seats saying, I wonder what he's going to say. I think maybe they finally got him. Maybe they finally trapped him. What's he going to say now? Remember last week, they, they asked him, where does your authority come from? And Jesus was so clever in his answer. He said, well, you know, answer me this question and I'll answer you yours. And he asked about John's authority to baptize. And so he just turned it on them. He was so good at that. Jesus was so good at turning, turning the question back onto them. And he does it again. Verse 15, here's what it says. Jesus saw their hypocrisy. He could read them. And here's what he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they said. Well then, Jesus replied, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. This is one of the most famous statements of Jesus. Maybe Have you ever heard that before, give to Caesar? Render unto Caesar is how I think the King James says. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus Trap them at their own game. Now, before I get into this, I'm just going to do a quick little test for you. I've got a quarter up here, a little test of your uh, currency understanding. How current is your currency understanding? Whose image is on the American quarter? Anybody know? Whose image is on the American quarter? George Washington. Yeah, I got some more. Ready? Here we go. Don't Google this. West Haven, don't Google this. We can see you. We'll, go, we'll do an easier one. Whose image is on the penny? Lincoln. Good, good. Whose image is on the dime? Eisenhower. Roosevelt. Roosevelt. We already said the quarter. Whose image is on the nickel? Jefferson. Some of you young people are like, I've never even seen these things before. <laughs> like, I, you know, you're like, I know what the Venmo app looks like, but... All right, how about some of the, how about some of the, the bills? Who's, whose image is on the dollar bill? Washington. Whose image is on the $5 bill? Lincoln. I had to look this up, too, in case you're like, man, this guy's so smart. I'm really not that smart. Um, how about the $20 bill? How would you know that? Everybody, people like Andrew Jackson. Yeah, that was Jackson. You got a lot of $20 bills in your pocket, I guess. Everybody should know the $100 bill. Yeah, the, the president, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> he wasn't a president, no. 
All right, one, one last one, the $2 bill. When's the last time you saw a $2 bill, right? Who's on a $2 bill? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. All right, how about who's on a denarius? Which one? Tiberius. It was Tiberius Caesar, the one who was, who was the Roman emperor at the time that they're asking this question. So, so on, the, on the denarius is Tiberius Caesar. By the way, on the backside of the denarius was his mom. Isn't that very sweet? He was kind of a mama's boy. And so Jesus, when we look at this text, Jesus is interesting. Maybe you read right past this, but Jesus said, show me a coin. Jesus didn't have a coin. Jesus didn't have a Roman coin. So see, what he was doing, again, most of us, we read right right past this, we don't understand this. He was basically showing all of the people around that the Pharisees bought into the Roman rule more than Jesus did. But he didn't say it like that. He just said, anybody got a coin? So they showed it to him, and then he said, whose image is on it? Render unto Tiberius what belongs to Tiberius, and render unto God what belongs to God whose image is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about God's image. And it brings to mind a passage from the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says there that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I think the implication that Jesus is making here in this passage is that the image of Caesar is stamped on the coin and so he has the right to say whatever he wants to about that coin, but the image of God is stamped on every single one of us and so he has authority over us. You have, you bear, if you're a, you, a man, a woman, every single one of us, men, women, Grown-ups, children, we're, the Bible says that we bear the image of God, that we are image bearers of God, that, that God has stamped us with his image. And that means, and this is what Jesus is saying here, that means that he has authority over us. It's almost like an extension of last week's message where, where they're saying, who gives you the authority? What kind of authority do you think you have? Now what he's saying is, is this authority has implications for every single one of us in our lives. And so I want to go back to the question that we started with. Do you take taxes more seriously than tithing? Because this is the end of the passage for today. Like Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And so here we are now today in 2023, we're asking this question for us today. What does that mean for my life? What are the implications in my life? If I'm an image bearer of God, if God owns me, if God owns me, what does that mean for me? Now, that means a lot of different things. It, it means it, it has implications relationally for us. It has implications morally for us. It, it has implications on the decisions that we make in our lives. It has implications on our marriages, on our parenting. There are so many implications. But today, to focus in our study today, we're just going to talk about the implications on giving. And so back to the question, do you take taxes 
more seriously than tithing. And I want to answer the obvious question first, and I promised you that I would answer it. Is tithing a requirement for New Testament believers? Is tithing a requirement? Technically the tithe. Let me give you a little history lesson. The tithe was something that was instituted in the Old Testament, and it was, it was set up like this. If you were a Jewish person in the Old Testament, you were supposed to bring your tithes and offerings to the, to the temple. To the temple. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about whether temples are a thing anymore. Remember the answer? No, they're not, because we are the temple of God. So we don't have, we don't have to go to temples anymore and worship in temples right? You're going to like this. You're going to like what I'm about to say here. And guess what? The tithe isn't a thing anymore either. Everybody said? You're like, this feels like a trap. (laughs) This feels like a trap. In the Old Testament, you'd bring a tithe. A tithe was typically like your grains and your sheep and whatever, whatever it was that you raised, you would bring the first fruits of it, the first tenth of it, the first tenth of it, you'd bring it, you'd bring it to, the, to the temple. You'd bring it to the priests. But here's why. I want you to understand this. The reason is because the priests weren't farmers. The priests didn't have their own fields. The priests didn't have their own flocks. When the, when the people of Israel came to the promised land, the, God, they were in 12 different you know, nations, 12 different tribes, and, and God God said to one of those tribes when they got to the promised land, he said, you're going, it was the tribe of, of Levi, the tribe of, tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 sons. But the Levites were set apart as God's special inheritance. The Levites were set apart and God said to them, you're going to be the priests to serve all the other tribes. So you don't get to do what all the other tribes get to do. I'm not going to give you land. It's interesting what's going on right now in Israel. But if you look at a, at a map of Israel and, and when, when God gave them the promised land, he divided that into 12 sections and go look at, if you've got one of those old Bibles with Bible maps at the back, you're not going to see Levi anywhere on there. You're going to see all the other names like Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh, but you're not going to see Levi. You know why? Because God said Levi's going to be spread, the descendants of the Levites are going to be spread out among all the other tribes And they're going to serve the people as priests. And so that's what the tithe and offering was for. It was was all the other tribes bringing, it was bringing their money, it was bringing their food, it was bringing their livestock, and it was offering it to God. And part of that was so that the Levites could live on it, because they couldn't do it themselves. So that's what the tithe was about. That's what the offerings were about in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the Old Testament in various places. It is a commandment. It's part of the commandments, that they were supposed to bring a tithe, a tenth, and guess what? When you add it all up, it wasn't just a tithe, it wasn't just the first fruits, the tenth, but it was other stuff as well. If you read about this in Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, it added up to closer to 20%, 20%, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, the doors are still locked, the doors are still locked, you're still listening. So fast forward now to the New Testament. Fast forward now to Jesus, the guy who said, we don't need temples anymore, the one who was flipping over tables in the temple, the one who was, who was resetting everything, the one who brought in the new covenant, and the question really is, is, is tithing a part of the new covenant? And the answer is no. The word tithe appears in the New Testament four times, okay? Four different times the word tithe appears in the New Testament. How many of those times is it a commandment to do it? 
Zero. Zero times in the New Testament does anybody in the New Testament, including Jesus, zero times does anybody tell us that we have to tithe. Friends, here's the good news. You are not obligated to give 10%. However, (laughs) you're like, wait, this seems, it's too early. Like, they're not unlocking the doors yet. That's just talking about the tithe. The question is, the question is, do you take taxes more seriously than giving? The question is, so what does God require of me? What does God want for me? If I'm not required to tithe anymore, if it's not a hard, fast rule, here at Alpine Church, we don't, we don't look at your giving records and we don't say, we don't have you come in and say, look, you're not giving enough, you need to give more. We don't do that at Alpine Church. You are all free. You're free. That freedom that we have in Christ is not just about drinking coffee and wearing shorts to church. That freedom includes your giving. I want you to know that. And it's in the Bible, I wanna show you that. But I still think there are three giving questions that Tracy and I ask ourselves when we look at our budget. And I wanna encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you call Alpine your home church, I would encourage you to ask these three questions as well. Here they are. Number one, are we giving regularly? Are we giving regularly? Because like I said, nowhere in, nowhere in the New Testament does it command us to tithe, but it does talk about being a regular giver. 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 2, it says, On the first day of each week, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, you should put, each put aside a portion of the money that you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So one of the things that Paul is doing in his letter to the church in Corinth is he was, he was talking to them in part about giving. At the very end of his first letter, 1 Corinthians, he says this to the church in Corinth. He says, there's going to be a, I'm going to come, I'm, I'm on my way to Corinth, I'm going to come and I'm going to ask for a collection, but I'm not going to take it when I get there. You should, you should just get in the regular habit of being a giver so that when I get there, I can just collect the offering. By the way, that offering was for the church in Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem at this time was, was undergoing a lot of financial stress. There's some question about maybe, maybe there was a famine in Jerusalem. In fact, some commentators believe that the reason that the church, in, this is funny, the reason that the church in Jerusalem might have been undergoing some economic duress was because earlier they tried giving away all their money. If you, if you read the book of Acts, like the early church, like, the very, like in their excitement, the early church, like the Bible says they gave up all their land. They, like, they brought it to the apostles and they gave everything away and everyone just became poor. Some commentators said that might be the problem is that, is that people gave all their money away and now they're like, uh-oh, what are we supposed to do now? How are we supposed to eat? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to survive? There was also a famine in in Jerusalem at that time. And so here's what happened. It's kind of like what we're doing right now with our Syracuse campus. There's one campus in need right now. They're the only campus right now at Alpine that doesn't have a building. And so at all of our campuses, we're asking everyone to participate, to give. That's what the giving wall is outside our doors. West Haven, you guys have a giving wall outside your doors. One of the ways that you can apply today's sermon is on the way out is grab some tags off the giving wall and let's give toward, 
let's give toward that Syracuse project. Because they're a campus in need, and the rest of us are doing great. We have our buildings, and so we want to support the campus in need. And this is kind of what was happening now, is Corinth was in Greece, and, and Paul was saying to them, hey, the, the believers in Jerusalem are struggling, and I want you to help them out. And so this is what Paul was talking about. And what he was saying is you should give regularly. Here's, how, here's what that looks like for Tracy and myself. We give on a monthly basis. That's what regular giving is to us. Some of you, maybe, the way you can apply this is you can give regularly by, by letting that, your paycheck every two weeks or every month be a trigger for you. Say, okay, I'm going to give when I get a paycheck. I'm speaking to people who are maybe a little bit newer to this. I don't want you to feel compelled to do it. You have freedom I'm not making you do it. This doesn't impact your salvation. But this is what Paul is saying, is is make it a regular thing in your life. There are some people who give regularly once a year. And that's okay. That's okay. We appreciate that, especially if it's like a decent amount of your overall earnings. That's great. I think it should be more of a discipline. I think it's it's like any other spiritual discipline. I read my Bible every day. I pray Every day. I give, Tracy and I give every month. It's part of our spiritual discipline. We give. That's the first question to ask. Am I giving regularly? Here's the second question. Are we giving proportionately? Are we giving in proportion to what we have? And some of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, pastor. You just said tithing isn't a requirement. And a tithe is a tenth. And, I, and I'll say, you're right. I'm not saying are you giving a tenth. Because nowhere in the New Testament does it command you that you have to give a tenth, like it's some hard, fast rule. But the Bible does say, 2 Corinthians 8, that you should give in proportion to what you have. The Bible does teach that. Again, this is, notice this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So Paul writes the first letter, 1 Corinthians, at the end of the letter he talks about coming and taking a collection. And now in the second letter, he's giving them more instruction. And he says, here's what it should be. It should be in proportion to what you have. It should be proportionate. Now, what's the proportion? Well, that's where we have freedom. A proportion is like a percentage. What percentage should I give? Here's what I would say to you if you're totally new to this. Start with 2%. Some, some, past, some of my pastor friends would get really mad that I just said that. Like, how dare you? Why would you set the bar so low? And some of you are saying, oh my gosh, how dare you? Why would you set the bar so high? It's all about being, being true to God's word. God's word says, give in proportion to what you have. Part of, I think, what Paul is saying is, we don't expect you to give it all. We don't expect you to, because that might have been what got Jerusalem in trouble in the first place. When they gave it all. Because what are you going to do for food next week? Paul is saying just give in proportion to what you have. If you're new to this, 10% is a good benchmark. But man, does that, if you've never given before, 10% feels like so crazy. Like, oh my gosh, 10% of my check this month? You want me to give? And I would say, no, if you're new to this, maybe just start with 2%. Just start with 2%. If it's a new discipline, start with 2%. And do that for a few months. And then maybe in a few months you'll realize, that's not so bad. I can do this. And then maybe up it to 4%. And do that for a few more months. 
And then you can be like, that's not so bad. And maybe then you can up it again to 6%. So this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He says, since you excel in so many ways, you're so good at all these other things, church. He says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. That's such a great rule, is give proportionately and then grow it. Tracy and I, I'm just confession time right now. Tracy and I, when we first got married, we didn't give 10%. We didn't give hardly anything. It wasn't a discipline. I was undisciplined as a bachelor. We came, we started, and we, as a family, we started to budget, and then we realized we need to do this. We need to be better at this. And we began to give, and now we, we have con- we've used this simple rule that we want to give proportionately, and we want to grow in the grace of giving, and now we give over 15% of our income every month back to the kingdom of God. But we didn't start there. And that's my challenge to you, is grow in the grace of giving. 10%'s a great benchmark, but it's not a hard, fast rule. But grow and be a giver. And then the last thing, are we giving sacrificially? Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Remember, he's still talking to this church, but now he's bringing in another church. So it's like he's talking to Leighton, and he's bringing in West Haven as an example. He's saying, the church in Macedonia, they're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. And so what's happening here is he's telling the church in Corinth, you guys are so wealthy, and the Macedonian church is outgiving you. He's saying, I just want you to grow in this. I want you to get better at this. This is what, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying you should be sacrificial in your giving. It's really simple to know how to, how to answer the question, am I being sacrificial, is you ask yourself the question, what am I sacrificing? When our kids were young, we sacrificed cable. We didn't, for years, we didn't have cable TV. And one of the reasons is because we, we, and we told our kids, is because we're going to be givers. And so I want to go back to this question. You know, we started with this question, do you take taxes more seriously than tithing? But now that you know that tithing is not a hard, fast rule, I want to change the question. And here's the question is, do you take whatever more seriously than giving? You fill in the blank. I mean, the question really, it's kind of like everything in the new covenant. It's not about hard, fast rules. The new covenant is not about hard, fast rules. The new covenant is about your heart. It's about your heart. It's not about following check boxes and feeling like you're earning your way toward God. It's about God changing you from the inside, and then what happens is just the overflow of that is we're like, it's instead of saying, wait, how much do I have to give? It's more like, wait, how can I be a giver? And so the question is, do you take blank more seriously than giving? So for our spenders out there, for our, I'm not going to make you raise your hands again. For, for, for our spenders out there, think about some of the things that you've spent your money on in the last year. Think about how much you've spent on vacation or that computer or the car or the whatever. I mean, you fill in the blank, right? You, for the spenders out and the savers are like, yeah, you get them, Brian. This is good. I've been waiting for this. This is so good. Yeah, you get them. I'm getting them. I'm getting them. So just, I mean, just be honest with yourself. Like, do you take that thing more serious than giving? Because in a sense, it's like a little bit of a window into our hearts. Because we, I mean, 
This is what Jesus said. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where wrath and where, where moths and, and rust eat and destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus makes this comment, which is really what this whole message is about. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So whatever you filled in, the, wherever, however you filled in the blank, here's the thing is you're going to fall in love with that thing. Whatever you put your, this is what Jesus is saying, whatever you put your money toward is what you're going to fall in love with. Whatever you, and that makes sense. Whatever you invest in is what you're going to fall in love with. Now, a lot of people are like, well, no, what I fall in love with is what I invest in. But the opposite of that is true as well. Whatever you just continually to invest in, you end up giving all your attention, all your focus. You know, we were singing the song about you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. But is he? Is he worthy? According to our checkbooks? Because Jesus says, whatever you invest in, that's what you fall in love with. And so for all of you spenders out there, I mean, really honestly ask the question, what are you investing in? What are you spending on? But now I want to talk to the savers. You thought I was going to let you off the hook. And I'm a saver. It's the same problem for savers. Think about all of your savings. That's what you fill the blank in with. Do you take your savings more seriously than your giving? For some of you savers, we need to fill the blank in with, with our 401k, our retirement plan. I mean, this quarter that I just was talking about, and the do- every, every dollar bill that you've ever had, it says, in God we trust. And then for us savers, we don't. And we invest. We invest in our 401ks. And, we've, and I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. I'm not saying that investing in retirement, it's good. You should. You should. I think Paul would say that too. You should. So that, so that people don't have to take care of you later, like, which is kind of what maybe happened with the church in Jerusalem and their zeal. Like they just gave it all away. Like you shouldn't give it all away. G, Paul is saying that. Don't give it all away, but you should invest. You should invest in the kingdom of God. Don't just invest in your retirement. So Jesus would say yes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. And that has an implication on all of our giving. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us to take from this exactly what you want us to take from this. God, that we would receive we would receive instruction from your Holy Spirit on this message. And God, may we not be so focused on the blank, whatever the blank is, whether it's for the spender or for the saver, God, every single one of us can admit that we elevate other things above you in this life. And God, may we be people who under the new covenant are just free. We're just free. You have set us free. We are under no obligation to give. And yet we want to because you are so worth it. God, I pray that that attitude of giving, God, that that, just like everything else in our life, God, that it would come from the inside and it would just make its way out of us. God, that out of the overflow of our heart, out of the overflow of our love for you, Jesus, because you gave and you sacrificed, you didn't hold back, you were extravagant. God, that out of that overflow, everything would come, including our giving. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.